All right, let's go ahead and, and find our seats again, and we're going we're gonna to get started into our second session. So if you're out in the lobby and you can hear this, be making your way in. I just wanted to take um, a second before Alan uh, comes up and, uh, and, and, and just say a, a couple words. So I, I mentioned last night... Uh, if you happen to be at the service last night, we have quite a few people that are that are still in from or just came in last night, and so um, so it's great to see all of you all that weren't able to make it. But I mentioned last night that you know as the lead pastor here in the first certainty conference that you know I'm officially in charge of or or whatever the this they're, they're, the speakers um, are near and dear to my heart, and um, they're also the, you know, as most qualified men we have, and so that's a great combination, I think. But, um, you know, with respect to, to what God has done in my life, there, you know, there have been a lot of, there have been a lot of people that have, have played a role in that, but with this specific position that I'm in now, um, God has used three men at, at different times in my life, and it's, with Sam Miles, Jeff Bartell, and, and Alan Shelby, and and the 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 stalwart, the the main, the main one, um, my pastor is Alan Shelby, and I um, served with him and under him from 1992, at you know at some level to 2018, uh, when when I moved out here, um, and Alan is. My spiritual father, he means the world to me, and, and it's, it's super special that he's able to be here with us this week. He wouldn't miss it. He's here every year, but um, I'm so thankful for him um, just in every aspect of my life, and I'm, I'm thankful that he's here uh, to teach us this morning. So you know Alan. He doesn't need an introduction. He's a pastor of Harvest Baptist Church in Blue Springs, Missouri. He's the president of our fellowship, and, and he's the best speaker You'll hear. So, <laughs> well, I know a I know a lie when I hear it, and uh, you know I'm just so amazed uh, even being here. I'm amazed at being on the same platform with uh, Pastor Jeff Bartell. Uh, for one thing, I mean, um, we had him. I think it was this last. A year at our mission focus, and he was one of the speakers at my church. And um, you know, there was a, a pastor in Hazel Park, Michigan, years ago, Calvary Baptist Church, um, David Allen. And um, I, you know, I think he and 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 Pastor Bartell preach a lot alike. And it's just so, you know, it's just taking the word and just laying it out and bringing up the cross references and having you having you look at all that and it. There are so few men that can do that and stay engaging and really keep your attention, and he's one. So in the morning sessions, you just need to know, Pastor Bartell is the big locomotive. I'm the little push cart coming behind. Wee-oo, wee-oo. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, Troy just hit it out of the park yesterday morning and um, did such a great job. And and Sam last night, and you know, I, I, you know, very gracious words, but I know what the truth is. The truth is, you know, I'm, I'm the 
old guy over here with a flip phone. And people come up to them and say, who is that? And they say, well, that's dad. And, uh, you know, I know, I know what the truth is. And, uh, but wow, I just, I decided I had to rep the Chiefs today. Now, I did not, however, uh, even look at the score last night after what Sam Miles preached, you know, that we're not supposed to be into the NFL and football. I did not even look at the score, so I, uh, you know, I've heard some reports, but I did not watch the game, did not look at the score, and, you know, that was the only, my only criticism of last night's preaching was, at that point, that wasn't preaching, that was meddling. And so he totally left expository preaching uh, when, when he went there. But, um, you know, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm so thanking God to be here. And, uh, you know, you be praying for me uh, that the Lord will give us some good time together. Um, because I think uh, that this conference, because of the nature of the topic that is being dealt with this particular year, is going gonna, is gonna to be like a lot of the Bible, Either it's going to make sense to you or it's not. And there's so many aspects because discipleship is such a central core. And the thing that, that makes Christianity so that it cannot be counterfeited is discipleship. Because there's so many aspects of Christianity, you have to see it done. And until then, you don't understand it. I mean, you, and you can read it in the Bible, you know, somebody expound on it and everything else, but until you see it done, you just don't understand it, and I think this is one of those type conferences that, that either it's going to make sense or it's not, but to help it make the most sense, let me start off with an analogy, because once upon a time, we saw matter and energy as totally two distinct things. And there, we knew there was energy to give us light and give us power, but matter and material stuff, that was a separate thing. And then along came Einstein. And Einstein confirms what the Bible said all along, that that construct is actually an illusion. That construct is an illusion. So Einstein put the math to the creation with the formula E equals MC squared. And in my simple, unmathematical mind, I simply reverse that to understand how anything multiplied by the square of light speed is how much energy it contains. And there cannot be a theme, I think, more intimately connected to the Christian life than the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, but the Bible's connected to it. The Bible is connected intimately to the Christian life, and it should be. But you know what? It is connected from the outside, and that connection is dependent upon you and dependent upon your time in the Word and dependent upon your study. But the thing about the Holy Spirit, and this is my thesis for starting us off today, is that the Holy Ghost is God's connection on the inside, and it's only dependent on him and Jesus. I mean, even when he is grieved, he is still yet sealed inside. So there is a divine operation that gives you a divine nature. 
So I've always been amazed at how awkward our relationship with the Holy Spirit is as independent, fundamental Baptists. I mean, we don't mind doctrine, but we get really awkward, uh, you know, when, whenever we are talking about the implications of that doctrine and what that doctrine actually has to mean in life unless we can really describe it externally. And so in this case, I think the problem is not your application of the doctrine, because the Holy Spirit's already been applied to you if you're born again. Really, Baptists are fine with applying the doctrine. They don't like to be told what the implications are, whether they are willing to apply it or not. So so we get up and we say, well, let's learn about the Holy Spirit, and everybody cheers. But if we say, well, let's walk in the Spirit, everybody kind of looks at you sideways. Like, you know, what does that even mean? And yet, in fact, and this is my first point for study, if you are not walking in the Spirit, you don't understand the doctrine. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you don't even understand the doctrine, bro. Because the doctrine works even when you do not. And this is just a foundational principle of the Holy Spirit, and yet we have, I think we kind of have this superstitious relationship with the Holy Spirit, because we don't understand the implications of King James Bible doctrine. And in spite of the fact that we are the only Christians who have ever shaped history, and we've done it with the Holy Spirit, so if you think back over church history... The only true Bible believers who ever shaped history were filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, just bring it down to people of our own ilk, if I could put it that way. Study the biographies of Whitfield and Edwards, of Spurgeon and Moody, of Torrey and Finney. And I might have caveats about any one of them, and and some of them more than others of them, but the reason that we own them as Philadelphian age saints is because theirs was a ministry marked by the work of the Holy Spirit. And one thing I know, although I am a dispensationalist, and this is our second point for study, is that the Holy Spirit is not finished shaping the future through God's people. So in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus has a word to the overcomer even in the church of the Laodiceans. And he says, hear what the Spirit saith unto all the churches. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, hear what the Word of God says. He doesn't, you know, read this. It's, it's a little bit more subjective than that, frankly and amazingly. He says, you need to listen what the Spirit says unto all the churches. Become an overcomer. So that tells me somehow this aspect of being an overcomer and my walk in the Spirit and following the Spirit, somehow that's all connected. So do you live your life in the Spirit as if He is still affecting history today? I think that is a fundamental question for fundamentalists who need to know the foundational principles of their Bible. Someday, somebody's going to be looking back 
at this certainty conference of 2021, and it will shape them. They will look back and they will listen to the messages and, and they will start processing the truth that is being proclaimed here and it will shape and change their life. So this morning I want you to step out of your seats and I want you to space travel with me to where you are actually seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And then when we get there, I want you to look back down at what God is doing down here at this time in this church, in this conference. So today I want to talk about the foundational principles. But to do that, I got to be able to take you behind the curtain. So turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. What were the thinking processes of God which fueled the choices he made when it comes to the Holy Spirit indwelling us. I think we've got to start with the realization that what we call reality was never the real thing to begin with. Because now we know scientifically what the Bible was already saying, that everything, everything is invisible. It's simply multidimensional energy. And yet in our life before God, the creation seems more real than the reality. So this is not superstition. This is spiritual science, scripture science, because Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what you can touch down here is simply a different composition of things you cannot see, and yet they really exist. Matter is all energy just traveling at a different speed. So Newton did not know this, but my understanding as a novice is that this pulpit is just energy slowed down, and it's slowed down enough until... It's materialized. And in actual fact, the same thing is true of your corporeal existence, that part of you which is material. And this didn't really hit me, I think, until I listened to one of the recent Theology Roundtable podcasts. And the esteemed theologues who expounded on that podcast, they took me behind the curtain. And I began to see how angels are spirit beings. They are all energy, but somehow, when they hit our atmosphere, they slow down enough to materialize. And then they appear. And then from that form and function, they are manifested as, as a man. Now turn to 1 John chapter 1. So I think it's, it's difficult to understand the Holy Spirit if you only look at him from our limited context in space-time. So let me, ex in order to explain himself, God gave us his word. Let me take you to some passages because all this is is King James Bible doctrine related to the Holy Spirit. But I think that if you will listen carefully at this conference, 
I think we will be able to recover a sense of truth that has been lost over time. I mean, I'd like us to get back to being Philadelphian Christians in a Laodicean age. I'm just saying. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So what we discover is God entered human history, and he did so by stepping into our corporeal humanity. And instead of coming like angels come, and, and like he had appeared previously in the Old Testament, he came all the way down. Now turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Light speed God slowed all the way down. Check this. Permanently now. Permanently. There's some comparisons here that you need to think about drawing because there was a time in the history of God when he only temporarily slowed down to light speed and appeared as the angel of the Lord and those ways that he manifested himself in the Old Testament. But, ne but now he's done that permanently. And, and it's kind of interesting because in the Old Testament, there was a certain way that the Holy Spirit had a relationship to the saints, the Old Testament saints, and a totally different way that he's done now that's kind of permanently. And, and, so, and so the Bible calls this truth about himself and the Lord Jesus the mystery of godliness. But functionally, functionally... How does he do that today? How is it connected to us by the Holy Spirit? We know how he did it in Matthew 1. We know how he did it in Luke chapter 2. But how is he doing that today now that Jesus has ascended back to the right hand of his Father in heaven? Well, he does that by the Holy Spirit coming inside you the moment you are put in Christ. When you're put in Christ baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ, well, then the Holy Spirit also comes inside you. And, and in that respect, creation mirrors the process of salvation, just like Pastor Sam was talking about. So much so, Genesis 1 verse 2 says, "...and the earth was out without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God..." moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is light, and yet there was no light on this formless and void earth because of the fall of Satan in that gap between verse 1. And verse 4 says, God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. So energy is everywhere, but it is only energy which slows down enough to materialize that we become aware of through our physical senses. Now turn to Philippians chapter 2. Have you ever walked by somebody and you touched them and um, they got shot? Um, static electricity. 
is, is this imbalance of electrons on the surface of matter and the electrons that you cannot see build up and they build up and finally there is so much charge it manifests itself as a discharge onto another surface. So one, uh, one object is positive but really negative because it's matter and the other object is negative but really positive because it's energy. Uh, electron, uh, and when they touch, they are both brought into fellowship. And this, this is not science fiction, this is scripture truth, and these are fundamental principles about the Holy Spirit. Watch. Let me, let me work to the point of a passage starting with verse 12 of Philippians 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we need to understand the functional implication of the applicable doctrine. So, so we have salvation on the inside. Paul says you need to work that out, manifest it on the outside. I want you to notice in this verse, just in passing, isn't it amazing how tears, fears, and trembling are the acceptable proofs of spirit filling, of spirit anointing, of a godly walk, of pleasing God. And yet these are the very things we go to a therapist for. I mean, these are the very things we try to medicate ourselves out of. Now, I am not telling you to stop taking your medication. Well, I'm just saying... You know, most of my pastoral counseling is, is really very simple. All your problems can be solved. I mean, if they're not organic, and if they're not a true break with reality psychotic, you know, because of drug use or whatever in the past, all your, you know, really all your problems can be solved by faith, hope, and love. And yet the world is in absolute darkness about all three. I mean, Van Gogh is so confused about love that he cut off his ear for a girl. Man, he should have cut off the girl and kept his ear. <laughs> I won't even say what you've done, but the world is absolutely tormented by love and yet never stops searching for it. And, and when their story ends in despair or in violence and in depression and in suicide, they have extinguished their destiny. How come we don't recognize that? And the Holy Spirit brings faith, hope, and love, and that is the only solution there is. That is the only healing there is to be had. Now, I know you don't believe me, but I've been told you believe the Bible. So 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says, to another faith by the same Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 13, we having the same Spirit of faith. Galatians 5, 5, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, faith. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Romans 5.5, 5, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God, 
which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Psalm 211, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. So Paul was right with David on this one. And, and yet this is what we run from instead of serving God with. Because we do not understand or want to accept the implication of the King James Bible doctrine on the Holy Spirit. Ministering in fear, rejoicing at trembling. Why? Why is that the way to serve Him? Because then we know the Holy Spirit's at work. I mean, that sounds so counterintuitive to us, but watch verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you. Okay, stop, just stop. You don't even understand the implications of that. Jesus tells you God works grace in you by the comforter whom Jesus sent to replace himself after he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. So much so that this comforter is called the spirit of grace, Hebrews 10.29. And, and what his working does is this, watch verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you by the comforter, the indwelling Holy Ghost, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So stop, just stop. Because You've not yet comprehended how to get the motivation. I mean, you have today, as Vance Havner would have said, a broken willer. You have a broken willer. You can't work out at, at, A-T, at your salvation and make it work. And God does not will things for you contra the Calvinists. But God is at work inside of you, and functionally, this is how. By the Spirit of Christ, who is the Holy Ghost. And here is how you know he is working, which is going to put the lie. It's going to put the King James Bible doctrine lie to your claim that you're acting in the Spirit. Watch, verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now, if you can't say amen, just say, oh me. And person next to you, they won't even know. They'll think you said amen. (laughs) That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Well, I should say, I I, I think I live in a perverse nation. But among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Because if you don't do this, Paul says, if you don't do this, I will not be able to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and feel like I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So I know it sounds insane, but once you get saved, you shine light. And Jesus and Paul both tell you that you are children of light. 
The Bible says God is light, but you are Christ-like with Christ on the inside slowing down into time so that you can touch people with eternity. But when the Spirit of God moves in our world, it is because the speeded up God slows down to operate through us. And so the Spirit grabs us and He speeds us forward, but then He slows down to a stop to touch every situation that He wants to change. So the Holy Spirit is God who is faster than time, slowing down into time to move with us in our life. It is a walk in the Spirit, and that is simply the implication of King James Bible doctrine on the Holy Spirit. So that means that the history of the church is written by believers like Whitfield and Spurgeon and Moody who are enabled by the Spirit. And we actually have an unfair advantage over the world because we are not trapped in time. And praying in the Holy Ghost, which Jude verse 20 talks about, is what breaks us out of space-time. Because when you understand the implication of King James Bible doctrine of the Holy Spirit, for once, life is no longer claustrophobic. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I know you don't believe me, but I've been told you believe the Bible, so... So here's a passage that we often read as we go through the New Testament, but I'm going to say we usually do not process. I mean, our eyes see the words, but we don't fully comprehend, and yet these are fundamental principles from King James Bible doctrine on the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So, so even they have some contact like that. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And I, you know, and I apologize. I'm sorry. Those verses don't hit you like they ought to. Because I'm not, I'm not that good a preacher. I mean, I'm not a David Allen-style preacher. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a Roy Orbison-style preacher. A little bit of me goes a long way, and all the albums sound the same. And, but what these verses say is, you are, you are resident and present in this moment, and yet a dual-phase transaction is taking place if you are saved. Because at this same moment, 
your angel is in heaven. Your spirit, as an elect angel, is appearing before the Father's face. Now, let me modify that because our children's angels are right in front of the Father's face. You're a few rows back. But the heavenly dove, which is a manifestation of the Spirit mentioned in all four Gospels, has not just descended on you like it did on Jesus before the crucifixion. He has actually entered into you. And he was sealed from the inside. So because of this dual transaction, you made to sit in heaven and the Spirit sealed inside you, you are transcendent and not trapped in time. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me illustrate this irrefutable idea. Have you ever watched a science so-called fiction movie or a TV episode where there was a portal? There was a portal. And have you ever wished that you could step through a portal into a different time and a different dimension and a different place, or is it just me? I have extraordinary news for you based on King James Bible doctrine about the Holy Spirit. They got that storyline from the Bible. And you can never go through another portal besides Jesus. But Jesus is the portal because he is from above. He is the light of the world. He is the door. He is the way. And he is the only name under heaven whereby you can get saved. But wait, because right now, today, here and in this life, he is still all of those things through the Holy Ghost. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Verse 6, verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the life because he is the light. And I just read you the verses. He has shined in you, and he does that because he wants to shine through you, and he does that by the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22 says, Now he who establisheth us with you in Christ... And hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Wow. Chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious... So that, so much so, watch, the children of Israel, and Sam alluded this to this last night, children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, like trying to look at the sun. For the glory of his countenance, it just, it shined too much. Which glory, that particular Old Testament glory, was, was to be done away with? Well, verse 8, 
how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? I mean, the ministration of the Word in the law given by Moses was that glorious. Well, how much more is the ministration of, the ministering of, the ministry into you of and the ministering out through you of the Holy Spirit going to be rather glorious? I mean, it ought to shine even more because the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing through your life as he did in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when he started the redemption of creation. You are born in a dimension of darkness and physical death. I mean, it's confusion and chaos. Now, maybe not so much as a child, but you and I both know you come to an age, teenage, and it is confusion and chaos because your life is without form and void. But when you pass through the door, when you pass through the portal, the Spirit flutters on the face of things, and, and you now enter a new dimension of light called life. But now hold on one second, because it's more than just passing through a portal. Now, because of the Holy Ghost, you become the portal. And eternity is ushered into time by your witness to the light, by you shining the light. So let me boil it down to its irreducible minimum. Getting saved can look like the interweaving of time and eternity. But really it's more tangible than that because the Holy Spirit affects your everyday walk every day of the week. He's supposed to. That is the implication of King James Bible doctrine. So what you see in your life is a story of tragedy. And then the Holy Spirit flips the script and it becomes a story of the beauty of recreation. There is so much violence in our country right now. I mean, homicides went up 30% in 2020. In, so, so last year, for which they have accurate records, up 30%. I know in my own community, Kansas City area, metropolitan Kansas City area, it's new records on homicides. There is so much brokenness causing so much pain. So it can seem that a person might be justified in saying, I do not believe in God because of all the suffering in the world. But my issue with them is, Maybe my issue with you this morning, because you still don't understand how the Holy Spirit makes you the offset. It makes you the offset, and, 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 and I don't think you comprehend yet how you carry the static charge to bring redeeming balance back into the system. Because if you are born again, your body is a container of the Holy Ghost. And King James Bible doctrine makes you a time traveler. You're writing this wonderful love of Jesus, the wonderful story of Jesus in history through your life. And if you are not doing that, then they are absolutely right. Nobody has any reason to believe in God. 
So there's one natural story of tragedy. And humans are its authors. We are the creators of the story that goes down in the darkness. But when we get saved, we do the work of Jesus, kind of as uninvited ghostwriters, changing the devil's plot and stealing his subjects. And we carry the gospel story of redemption into the only story that exists when Christ is not seen. And that is the story of tragedy. And the only thing that makes our story real to them so that they can see the truth of it is the Holy Spirit shining the gospel through our life. So get get Genesis 3 in your left hand and Romans chapter 1 in your right. Are you being used of the Spirit of God to represent the story of Christ in the gospel so that your electrical discharge overwhelms the positive negativity of a lost life? See, this is why we need to pay attention to the implications of King James Bible doctrine on the Holy Spirit. How he has shined in our hearts in order to shine light on others. Because it's all about the kingdom, but you don't have a kingdom without subjects. Hello, somebody. God wants out of us a spiritual discharge which will physically affect life. Now, I know you don't believe me, but I've been told you believe the Bible. So so let me read to you the imbalance that needs a spiritual electrical discharge to correct. Genesis 3, verse 17. And, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake." In sorrow shalt thou eat it all the days of thy life. Okay, so that's one pole. It's a very negative pole. We all sit on sin-cursed ground. All right, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. So even on sin-cursed ground, there is enough beauty to recognize the eternal power of God. And that is why your witness and the Holy Spirit shining the light of grace through you rings true. It rings true as truth in their life when you talk about the gospel to them because that truth is simply witnessing to what they've already got to be cognizant of, even though they deny, in creation. So turn to Ezekiel chapter 33 because I know the earth groans. And, and you know, I think it groans more over the actions of humanity than it does because of natural disasters. I think the natural disasters are the earth groaning because of the actions of humanity. I think, I think every time the earth drinks the blood of another lost life, it groans in sympathy with God. So whether you groan or not, I think God groans 
Why? Because Ezekiel 33, verse 11, God says, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? See, these are foundational principles. And this is why with Jesus, there is always a future and a hope. And yet so many of us who are in here are guilty of rightly dividing the Bible and wrongly dissecting its truth. I think so. You know, and, and, you know, and Dr. Best could confirm this for me or not, but I think, I think dissecting is something you do to a cadaver. I mean, I think you dissect things that are dead. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. See, we say that we know the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, so frankly, I really struggled with how, how do I get up here? And they're going to be thinking they're going to hear same things they've always heard from wherever they've went that's said some things about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And what is it that we're missing? Because I know we're missing something. It's obvious we're missing something. What is it that we should have as a fellowship of churches, as, as independent Baptist believers? What is it that we should have that we don't, that we need? I think part of our problem is we dissect the doctrine from the fact that without him, no one has a future. How can you talk about the Holy Spirit and not acknowledge the fact that without him, no one has a destiny? Without the Holy Spirit, they have extinguished their destiny because there is no future but darkness for those who does not, do not have his light. So the world thinks they have peace without God. But those two things cannot be dissected. See, watch, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And yet, there is no expected end being created if you do not have peace with God. So we have to step into their lives with the Holy Spirit that we have within us. And we can do that if we're walking in the Spirit. And we can do that if we're following the Spirit. And if we do not understand these foundational principles of the Holy Spirit, we do not step into their life with power. Oh, Lord. Here we are, disconnected from the trap of time, with dual phase existence in eternity, so that we can infuse eternity into time. And we get to embody God. Him slowing down from light speed and manifesting Christ even through us. And this King James Bible doctrine of the Holy Spirit is what allows us to bring the light of God into any moment of darkness. I think we give up too quick. I think it's a shame when we allow someone else to give us impossible situations. Well, you know, they, they do think it's impossible, 
I think it's a shame when we, dis, when we agree with them. Because his enablement allows our embodiment. So how do you take a moment in time and make it eternal? How do you turn it eternal? Well, you do it by making sure that you are every moment connected to and yielding to the God who is on the outside of time. Somebody mentioned yielding yesterday. I think it might have been, might have been Sam. Could have been Troy, but it might have been Sam. You know, in my particular city, they've come down with the European idea that we need roundabouts. And roundabouts are so much more efficient than, you know, having a stop sign or a stoplight. And, uh, okay, well, here's the thing that I hate about roundabouts. There's, there's this triangular yield sign. And that yield sign means sometimes I got to stop. I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop. I want to keep going. Why do I got to stop? But sometimes because of somebody else and the circumstance, I've got to stop. Well, that is why you don't walk in the Spirit. Because you got to yield to him, and sometimes you just don't want to stop. Hello, somebody. If you can't say amen, just say, oh, me. Amen. So, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to give you a strategy to be more spiritual. You'd fail at that, too, just like I do. And, and I, I, I want you to actually begin to be something unexplainable unexplainable to the natural man within his material world, because this is my third point for study, when you put on the new man, you are the image of God slowed down into visible manifestation, or else you are not walking in the Spirit. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 2, which was really my base passage for today. Jesus stepped into human history to accomplish something which cannot be seen. And we are given the Holy Spirit to translate that into waking reality. I mean, this is just a fundamental principle about the Holy Spirit. Look at uh, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man. The things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. Now, wait, stop there, and it's hopeless. Okay, keep your finger here, but go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in your Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I have never been able to understand how anybody could believe Ecclesiastes was a book to live by. I mean, Solomon accurately records his life as a natural man, lost or at least out of fellowship with God and under the sun. So Job is the, happy, is, is the unhappy man 
Psalms is the singing man. Proverbs is the wise man. Song of Solomon is the heavenly man. But Ecclesiastes, I think, is the worldly man. And if you live outside of God, you are part of the old created order. So there is nothing new under the sun. And if you stop before verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 2, here is what Solomon accurately records about your life. Verse 9, Ecclesiastes 3, 9. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I've seen the travail which God hath put to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Did you know that God has placed travail on the sons of men? And we know about the coming tribulation, but the travail right now is that he created you eternal. That is the reason for the lack of fulfillment and satisfaction in your life. Because your ancestor Adam ate something that made him mortal. And the curse may belong to the ground, but that mortality is owned by us. So we are time stamped. We are expiration dated in this life. So a huge part of our crisis with life is how we are never really comfortable about ceasing to exist in this world. Now let me open a window on that word because I'm, I'm claustrophobic enough that I don't like being in tight, expo, you know, enclosed spaces. Even a slow elevator makes me feel stuck. But I worked as an engineering aide for the city before... I became a pastor, and for some of that time, it was in the pollution control department, and so what they had us doing was taking uh, water samples, both to monitor industrial discharge for pH balance and heavy metals, and to, uh, to, to collect sewerage discharge, because the sewer tax for a restaurant's actually based on how dirty the water was. But that meant that sometimes I had to take a special pick and I had to open a manhole cover and I had to go down a dark hole only the size of one person. And can I just say that you are born in a manhole that no one should be stuck in. So Ecclesiastes 3.11 says right now, the lost have the world in their heart, and that is all they've got without you. I mean, no wonder Earth's earliest humans built a tower on the plains of Shinar. Because if they were not going to call on the Lord, then they were trapped. They were trapped unless they called down assistance from the heavens into their manhole. They were trapped with nothing but this world in their heart. So rather than be concerned about going up, they had to be concerned about something else coming down. Now, the New American Standard Bible says they have eternity in their heart. And the Holman Christian Standard Bible 
says they have eternity in their hearts. And the ESV says man has eternity in his heart. And the NIV says eternity is in the human heart. And the new revised standard version says God's put a sense of past and future in their minds. The new King James, allegedly translated from the Textus Receptus, which one who knows? I mean, they aren't telling. It says they have eternity in their heart. The modern English version, the MEV, admittedly translated from the TR, says that God has put obscurity in their hearts. And I don't know whether to spit or wind my watch at that translation. But anyhow, eternity or any sense of purpose is actually the opposite of what they have in their heart. I mean, the lost man has so much world in his heart, it drives out any eternal awareness. So Wycliffe said, God gave the world to disputing of them. Tyndale did not get as far as Ecclesiastes. The Bishop's Bible said God planted ignorance in their hearts following Coverdale's Great Bible of 1535 and Matthew Henry's Bible of 1537. But the Geneva Bible says the world is in their heart. And I think a lot of Christians feel trapped in the world even after they get saved. And that is why so many try and build a tower to heaven through new translations and new age practices. Because they think the Bible that we inherited in the, in, the, in the Philadelphian age, the Bible, which was the only Word of God for 280 years, they think it is not sufficient. So you still feel emptiness because your moments without walking in the Spirit are costing you eternity, eternal destiny, eternal glory. And it seems every moment your soul longs for what it is missing, so much so that you are like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, the best a lost man can do on a good day is conclude that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Wow. Do you believe that? I mean, it's the only rational conclusion for the natural man because Paul says so back in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. But don't stop there, because for us, we are given a holy, heavenly Helper, the comforter, a paraclete inside, able to be called alongside. So verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world in their hearts, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. That's an interesting way to phrase it, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you just read things and you don't really process it. Because he doesn't say that we might know the things that are written to us in the Bible. He doesn't say it like that. He says the things that are freely given to us of God. And just what is the freely given thing we need to know 
through practicing these principles of the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, verse 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we do have the mind of Christ in the Word of God, and the Spirit of God instructs us so that we can know his mind and I understand that we've been more affected by the Enlightenment than we have, have been by the Bible. And so we think that Scriptures bring us all the right information because we think God is an accountant when He's actually a creator. So He did not give you, according to these passages and these verses, He didn't give you a Bible just to know it. He gave it to transform your personality. So we have a mission of transformation. And to do this transformation, you have to be involved in transform ministry by the Holy Spirit's filling, anointing, and in Holy Ghost power. And that is why we pastors are given to the church for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. So just like John the Baptist, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And John chapter 3, verse 30, where he says that, kind of explains maybe all you need to know about the filling of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, you decrease so that he can be increased in you. Then you are now able to bring faith in the midst of misery. You're now able to infuse hope in the midst of despair. You are now able to inject love in the midst of hatred. Because you shine the only light we have in the darkness. Okay, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. I can see I either need to make it real, we just need to leave. Because you, you now need to be thinking with the mind of Christ. And, and there's no tragedy in which you cannot find out the work that God maketh in the midst of the travail. Because now that you have the mind of Christ, you can see it providentially from beginning to present moment all the way to the end. And that is what you bring in counseling to those people who come to you with those problems because you have the light of life through the Holy Spirit. But let me, let me explain why I think it is so easy for us to miss these fundamental principles and to lose the sense of what we need to have. And so maybe this will help you understand why I think we need to recover a sense of something that has been lost. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Now this is talking about Jesus. So does that verse really make sense to you? I mean, the perfect God stops himself in time. He enters our humanity as the perfect Christ. And yet in our interpretation, 
He has no beauty that would make us want him. So do you think it is possible that we ever see ugly things as beautiful and beautiful things as ugly? Let me open a window on that word. When I was young, my dad was a a borderline drunk. So the first time I tasted liquor was uh, once when he gave me a whiskey sip because he wanted to watch me want to spit it out. And, you know, uh, then I, uh, you know, had an overnight, spent overnight with a couple of friends at this particular friend's house. You know, his parents had a wet bar and they didn't care. So, uh, so I, you know, I came to the knowledge that vodka is lighter fluid and gin is lighter fluid from carrots. And uh, whiskey is smoke-infused lighter fluid. And rum is lighter fluid with spice. And, and even beer is an acquired taste. And, but some of you used to drink. And, and, and to this day, you think lighter fluid tastes delicious. Well, while I'm in my confessional, I want you to know that I smoked for 16 years. I mean, until I was about 16, I smoked secondhand through my dad. <laughs> and one day at work, somebody was having a baby, and they, you know, passed out cheap cigars, and he brought his home because, you know, my dad has sophisticated taste, and so he only drank Falstaff and uh, smoked cools with menthol. So he wasn't really interested in that cigar, and uh, you know, but he saw it kind of as a teaching moment, and so he sat me down at the kitchen table, and he said, look, I'll light this for you, and you can smoke it, but you have to do it right here in our house at the kitchen table. And I thought, this is my rite of passage. I'll be a man after this. I'll probably get hair on my chest and have to shave, and I was about 10 years old, and so I smoked half the cigar, and I turned green. I mean, you've seen the cartoons. You've seen I turned green, and, and the rest of that day and all night, I was sick as a dog in my bed, and that was a Saturday, and you know how precious Saturdays are to 10-year-old boys. I, and I understand now that the attraction of smoking is in the taste, and you know, and cigars don't have great taste, but they do smell better. And uh, so even, even though the first time you do it, your body screams at you, this is ugly. But you do it enough till you think it's beautiful. And by the way, I, you know, I think a l- perhaps a lot of us here at the conference thinks that we've already tried and experienced everything Jesus has to offer because we know, after all, we know so much of the Bible. Yet you're betraying your family and your church and the lost because even after contacting you, they are still not able to taste the sweet thing the Holy Spirit provides how good the Lord is, and see the beauty of his holiness. So my goal in this topic is to reclaim King James Bible doctrine. You think the Holy Spirit, teaching on the Holy Spirit looks a certain way. You attribute things to him that show he's holy God. 
But I think what you ought to be amazed at are the things that make him fully and completely in unholy you. That was my fourth point for study is this. While you cannot aspire to the things that make the Holy Spirit fully God, you must aspire to the things that make the Holy Spirit touch humanity through you. And that is the promise of the indwelling Holy Ghost, to shine the light of the gospel through you. And it's just kind of, you know, just one of those things God works. I had a farmer stop me last Sunday and uh, talk to me. And, uh, you know, I just, I did his brother's funeral, I don't know, three months back. And, uh, you know, his brother was driving a $100,000, I don't know, what, what a five-ton farm tractor across a railroad, you know, a farm crossing of a railroad. And, you know, on that day, the sun was setting right between the tracks. And so here's a three-engine a three freight train. And, uh, you know, he just, he never knew what hit him. So now, is, now is, I did the funeral outside. We did an outside funeral at the graveyard. And, you know, praise God. So now the, the brother's coming to church, and, you know, he stopped me last Sunday. He was telling me this story about how one night their cows, there was a gap in the fence, and their cows were going to get out, they were going to get on the road, they were going to be killed or maybe even kill somebody else. And he discovered, they discovered they had to do two things, and if they did these two things, they could save the cows. Number one, they had to shine the headlights on the open door of the barn, Number two, they had to shine a flashlight right over their heads on themselves. Because, see, the headlights shined on where the cows really wanted to go. Get out of the, get out of the manhole. <laughs> Escape to eternity. And then the flashlights kept the cows from getting spooked, thinking that the people trying to rescue them were going to hurt them. So now there's a crash, there's a collision, a static discharge that is supposed to take place. And the cross is the most tragic moment in human history, and yet it's the most beautiful moment in human future. Because the cross is the intersection where the fullness of God comes into your life by the Holy Spirit. So we need to shine ourselves walking in the Spirit. Tears, fears, and trembling. And then throw light back on the portal. And my parents would have claimed they were Christians, but we didn't go to church. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I never heard the gospel from them or from my grandparents. As my paternal grandparents, I went to my maternal grandfather's funeral when I was five. Uh, and it was such a 
traumatic experience. I mean, I can, I can remember, you know, that day, the dim lighting, the Victorian lampshades, and my grandmother's wail. And then I went to her funeral. He died December, went to her funeral the next Easter. And then I, I, you know, I went to another funeral when I was about 11, and I remember thinking to myself at that time, Alan, someday that's going to be you in that casket, trapped, lid shut, manhole cover on. I thought, no, this cannot be true. Surely not me. I mean, this whole world must be a stage play just for me. If anybody ought to find the fountain of youth, it ought to be me. They had a fire at my, my house the last day of fifth grade and had to live in my grandmother's finished basement while they repaired it over the summer. And here's, here's what I know. At the same time that God was orchestrating for me to be in her living room watching TV and watching a Billy Graham television crusade, At that same moment, God had been speaking to me, preparing me even at that age. And God was traveling to meet me in the visible and bring the invisible before I had ever heard the evangelist voice, who was visible and yet really coming through the television through the invisible. And then many years later, I I heard a missionary named Daryl Champlin. And his family had been in the Congo where they were forced out by the Simba Rebellion. And so then they went to Suriname, South America. And he described himself more as a pioneer where missions was concerned. And so, you know, he talked about uh, how the village had invited a witch doctor in in order to counter the gospel message that he was giving. So he went to the meeting, and he watched as the witch doctor stood on a pile of broken glass, which did not cut him. And all the people began to say, the demon is upon him, the demon is upon him, because they crave that spiritual contact too. And then he left into a fire, and it didn't burn him. And they began preparing other candidates for that same experience. And he recalled how his heart broke and how he cried out to God in that moment, what about the new converts? What about the souls of these people where you have brought me? And he said the Holy Spirit told him, go down to the front. Now you have to understand, Daryl Champlin was a fundamentalist's fundamentalist. And he was president of a Bob Jones-style mission board. And he taught at Maranatha, and he taught at Northland, and he, he, uh, he taught at Temple. And he, but he said the Holy Spirit told him to take off his shoes and then take off his socks. I mean, this is independent, fundamental, non-charismatic 
Baptist we're talking about, because so it's kind of like the Holy Spirit couldn't just tell him in, in one fell swoop, here's what you're going to do. He had to kind of stage it for him. Go down the front. Okay, well, now that you're down here, take off your shoes. Oh, wh- you know, why don't you take off your socks as well? And then he said, the Holy, while they were preparing these other candidates, the Holy Spirit told him to get on the broken glass. And he said he walked gingerly at first, but he discovered it was not cutting him, so he stomped on it. And then the Spirit told him to go walk in the fire. He said he felt it was hot, but it wasn't burning him. So he stood in the midst of the fire, and he said, God did not have to do this because he's given us a completed Bible where he speaks to you. But if you follow this shaman's darkness, it will lead you to hell. But believe on Jesus for eternal life, and he'll bring you out of darkness into light. And brothers and sisters, none of us, to none of us has God given the sign gifts of the Bible. Because none of us are apostles. None of us are speaking words that need to be written down and inscripturated and need to be validated with the signs of an apostle. But the Holy Spirit still works today. And he wants to work through your life, your ministry, your church, your congregation. And I think the future of spirituality that God has is for you. And it is not just in the resources and routines, the patterns and the programs that you usually go to conferences in order to get. The future of your spirituality is in gaining the ability to be in the middle of the mission that God is accomplishing through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is to try being the instrument of God to bring light into the darkness so it brings Christ's beauty into the tragedy of human life. So in 2012, the church I was at was going to become a church of small groups. I don't even know what that is, but, but that's what they said. And so I told them at the first of the year, I said, look, Uh, This isn't going to work unless I step aside. So uh, why don't we just plan that my adult class will go away in September and I'll help you train small group leaders or whatever. Then in July, Terry Job uh, came and he said, look, God has told me that I need to give up my church in Blue Springs and you need to take it. And I said, you are talking to the wrong person. Uh, You got to go to the senior pastor, Jeff Adams. And two criteria I ever had about starting a church. Now, I, you know, and I think Troy will validate this because I caught grief sometimes. No, I, you know, I should probably temper that. But I think I caught grief sometimes from maybe him and some others about, you know, this is getting crazy here. You need to go out and start your own church. And I always said, nope, number one, Jeff Adams have to, has to be for it. So it's not going to be a split. But Graceway at that time was not into starting churches. And number two, if it was local, anyone would have to be able to go with me that wanted to come. Those were two impossible conditions. So this idea, this whole idea was no way, Jose, impossible. 
But I remember the day they called me into Jeff's office. And Jeff Adams said, this is a God thing. And Jeff Cox said, you know, the board's all met. They agree you ought to do it. You can take anything you want, and anybody can go with you, but you got to be out of here in three weeks. So I'm convinced we keep looking at the wrong thing. We keep looking for better strategies and better systems and better programs. And I think we're supposed to be the people of supernatural activity. By supernatural ability from the Holy Spirit. Last thing, go to Job chapter 19. Why do we keep limiting God to space-time when God is eternal and he's given us the Holy Ghost? I mean, these are just foundational principles from King James Bible doctrine because when you step into spirit walking, you discover a shift inside. You become less comfortable living simply as a species contained in time and space. It is so much more natural to live your life as if you are spirit, transcendent, and connected to the creator of the universe with access to his very life. You do not have access to a lower grade of life now than what you have in eternity. Jesus only gives one kind of life. Why are you satisfied with lesser life in this life? His life cannot be stopped by death. So I don't have to be, I don't have to be worried about death. His life cannot be limited by time, so, so I don't have to be stopped by time. His life cannot be contained by space, so I don't have to be trapped by space. I want all the life God has for me by the Holy Spirit. And I want us to start changing humanity's view of reality simply by the light shined by us. Because Jesus did not come to make you a better person. He came to make you a new human. Do not diminish the word of God. Because Job said in Job 19 verse 15, They that dwell in mine house... And my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. Exodus 18, verses 1 to 3, when Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom, for Moses said, I've been an alien in a strange land. David said in Psalm 69, verse 8, I'm become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien to my mother's children. You are not of this world because you have been redesigned with a new material as a new creature in Christ. What do I care about aliens? I am the alien. <laughs> I am the alien. And God gave you the Holy Spirit so you can act like the alien you are. And his life goes with you wherever you go. 
So what you see up here today, this is not my best side. Because at this moment, I am, I'm standing before you down here. But my best side is seated in heavenly places. So at Jesus' side, I have everything that God has ever promised me. And if you are saved, the you in eternity is wondering why the you on earth keeps acting like you're trapped in space-time. Like you're anything but an alien from the heavens. So we get to live in time while we are seated in eternity so that we can grab all that eternity has in Christ Jesus and shine it back into time. We are shining light in the midst of darkness. We bring hope to those trapped by despair. So I hope you didn't come to this conference just to get information. I want you to be overwhelmed with the reality of who the Holy Spirit is. But on the other hand, there is information that I need you to know. I want you to know when you leave this conference, God is standing in every space you step into through the Holy Ghost who is in you. And everyone who steps into your space should sense some shaking. I mean, they should sense a static spiritual discharge because you are the electrical spiritual capacitator. You are the circuit element which stores the charge temporarily until you are close enough that a discharge releases it. So you get to translate King James Bible doctrine into waking reality in their life. And that is done by the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and stand and uh, bump elbows with the person next to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we get ready to, to dismiss. I think we've neglected him too long, my brethren. And I know you feel like you're just flesh and blood. I know you feel trapped sometimes. But that is not the real. The reality is that you are spirit and connected to the eternal God by his Holy Spirit. He created the entire universe and then, and then, he sent his spirit to divide light from darkness and redeem it. So men, every time you enter the pulpit, you have an unfair advantage. Because of all denominations and all faith persuasions, we have biblical authority and God is especially with us. I don't care what other people do. I don't care what other people think about it. I don't care how other people feel about it. But when I look at what God initiated in what, what we happen to be calling the Living Faith Fellowship, I think God is especially with us. And I think this conference ought to be that turning point that proves it. Be a portal into eternity. Do not let anyone else write the story of Living Faith Fellowship. Be like, be, be so unafraid, and yet tears, fears, and trembling, that you're like Daryl Champlin in Suriname. 
you get out your stylus and you start writing the story of the Spirit. Father, I thank you today for your word. I wish I were more. I, Lord, I wish I were up to the task of this topic. I wish that somehow I could do justice to the, to the word of God, to the verses, to the, to the exposition of the passages that deal with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need to hear these things. And beyond just listening, we need to let them change us on the inside. Change our perception of how we view reality because so much of what we thought was reality is not real. Change our perspective of what we have to bring and what we have to offer in that ministry where saints are perfected to do the work of God. I mean, we all need to be involved in that. And God, bring us the help by your Holy Spirit who's only hindered because of our neglect. He's only hindered because of our f- distrust of clear King James Bible doctrine. He is only hindered because we think the real is more important than the eternal. What we view as material is more important than the invisible. So God, today, at the start of this conference, give us a repentance that causes us to turn around. Let us turn. Let us be on the same page with you. Let us give you our lives in such a way that we are amazed at what comes out of us because we know only God could do it. And he did it by the Holy Spirit in us. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.